I next met with Dr. Irene Gobriel to discuss ASH presentations on multiple myeloma, and Dr. Gobriel began with a study evaluating upfront therapy in older patients. The first one is by Maria Matios, and this was the plenary session, which, again, is very important for us to have a myeloma plenary session this year. This was an upfront study where they're giving them Velcade, thalidomide, and prednisone versus Velcade, melphalan, and prednisone, followed by maintenance. And I think there were several important questions, and that's why it was in a plenary session. One, they were answering the question, do we need melphalan upfront in the elderly patients or not, which is an important thing that we all ask ourselves. The second thing was, can we use less of Velcade? So can we use the weekly Velcade dosing instead of the twice a week? And the third question that they had, which is important, should we use maintenance therapy in myeloma or not? And they did answer a fourth question, which I don't think is important right now for the practice, but it will come in the future, which is minimal residual disease. And can we measure that by the six-color flow cytometry that they do? And will that predict survival or not in those patients? So this was a randomized study for elderly patients over the age of 65. And what they did is they either gave them Velcade, Melphalan, and Prednisone, which is based on the VISTA study done by Jesus and Miguel before, versus Velcade, Thalidomide, and Prednisone. Now, the interesting part of this study is they gave them the first cycle, the twice-a-week Velcade, but then they went on to give once-a-week Velcade instead of the twice-a-week Velcade after that for a total of five more cycles. So this is the only difference between the VISTA and this study by Matius, which is still the Spanish group, the one that Jesus and Miguel did the VISTA study before. Then they randomized the patients for maintenance. And here they randomized them again, all of them. So either the VMP or the VTP went on to receive Velcade thalidomide or Velcade prednisone. Both arms can receive either Velcade thal or Velcade prednisone. So it was a second randomization so that we can see what is the role of maintenance. And what did they find? So the first thing that they wanted to do is, can we see a difference in the induction regimen? Can we have a better response rate between the Velcade, Melphalan, and Prednisone or Velcade, Thal, Prednisone? And there was no difference in the response rate between them. The overall response rate was about 80% or 81% in the VTP. So both of them were equal. The complete remission rates were equal. There was basically no difference in the response between them. Side effects wise, there was some differences. So the Velcade, Melphalan, and Prednisone caused more cytopenia which is expected, more neutropenias, anemia, thrombocytopenia, the Velcade thal prednisone caused more cardiac problems. So this is, again, important for us to remember that thalidomide can cause some cardiac problems in those patients. And actually, it looks like the cytopenias really weren't that bad in either arm. Right. I mean, it was like 27% or 30% or so in both of the arms, yes. What about the maintenance question? So then the second part that they asked is, can we do maintenance or not? And will that make a difference in the response or not? And basically what they found is both maintenance, whether it's Velcade cell or Velcade prednisone, gave us an increase in the complete remission rate. So they went on to increase the response rate in those patients from the 30s or so complete remission rate that we saw to about 60% or so complete remission rate after you did the maintenance. So I think that answers the big question of, should we do maintenance in patients with myeloma? And the answer is yes, it improves your complete 
complete remission rate. The second question was, should we use prednisone or thalidomide? Both of them gave the same thing as long as you gave Valcathal or Valcate-Pred, and both of them had acceptable toxicity. So again, this was an important question. Now, they did go on and look at all the randomizations, the four arms, and put them all together, and they found out that the best numbers, when you look at progression-free survival, was induction with Valcate, Melphalan, and prednisone, followed by Valcate and thalidomide for maintenance. And I think this, if you want to remember just one thing in this study, is try to use the melphalan up front and then go on to receive the thalidomide in the maintenance part with Valcade used throughout this regimen. The other thing that was very interesting in this study was looking, of course, at high-risk cytogenetics, and they found that Valcade still can overcome poor cytogenetics, which is important. And then finally, they looked, of course, at the minimal residual disease. And I have to say that the Spanish group has been leading this part of looking at minimal residual disease, doing it by six-color flow cytometry. And interestingly, they found that patients who had a complete remission by minimal residual disease had a much better time to progression and overall survival compared to patients who achieved it just by our typical complete remissions, which is immunofixation negative and M-spike is gone. So I think we'll see more and more of this minimal residual disease being checked. What about neuropathy, particularly as it relates to the schedule that was used with bortezomib? That's another very important question that they had, which is using weekly Velcade instead of twice a week. Most of us now in the practice still use the 1, 4, 8, and 11 of Velcade. Now, if you see at this study and several other studies using weekly Velcade, we're coming to the point now that most of us will use weekly Velcade instead of the twice a week. They did use one cycle at the beginning with the twice a week. And don't forget that this uses almost two cycles of Velcade up front, 1, 4, 8, and 11, and then repeat it again to complete that six-week cycle of melphalan and prednisone, and then go on with the once-a-week Velcade. So most of us now are moving away from the twice-a-week Velcade and doing once-a-week Velcade. Do you think it's the schedule or the actual total amount of bortezomib that the patient ends up receiving that's affecting the neuropathy? I think it's the schedule. I really think a huge difference is the schedule. We conducted recently a study of using the 1.6 milligrams per meter square Valcade, so it's a higher dose. And again, as long as you use the once a week, there is less neuropathy. So I think it's just that twice a week is too much for the patients to get. You think it's a question of the neurons recovering or something? Yeah, yeah. I think it is. It's the proteasome recovery for some reason that has less neurotoxicity. Any other clinical implications? And I guess sort of the obvious one is they use thalidomide. What about lenalidomide? Yeah. So they did bring up this in their conclusion. If thalidomide showed a good part in maintenance, and again, not in the induction, but in maintenance, can we use lenalidomide and have less neuropathy and less toxicity overall? And I think that will be a new question that they will be asking probably in another randomized study. But at least for now, us as oncologists treating elderly patients, if we want to use Velcade, Melphalan, and Zone, we should use the once-a-week regimen, maybe do the first induction with the twice-a-week, the first cycle, then continue on with the once-a-week regimen, and consider maintenance. We should not be stopping at the eight cycles that we used to do. And what about maintenance substituting lenalidomide for thalidomide at this point off-study? Yeah, I mean, there are other studies. Palumbo did the lenalidomide maintenance one, and I'm sure we will be talking about it shortly. So if you want to switch and say, well, how about Valkid lenalidomide? The answer is probably yes, but without strong data yet to support it. All right, let's talk about paper 127 by Kumar et al., looking at the evolution study. 
So this was an important study for us, and it's based, to start with, the history was based on the lenalidomide valkyrie index that Paul Richardson had done, which is a small phase two study, and we will be talking about it, but it was the RVD regimen that we had talked about, and it had very high responses. Now, for a long time, we've said, well, cytoxin still has a very important role in myeloma, so can we compare a three-drug regimen of Cybor-D, which we've done before, which is cytoxin, bortezomib, and DEX, versus Revveldex, RVD, versus putting all four drugs together, which is the evolution study. So it's a three-arm study. You put the cytoxin, Velcade, Revlimid, and DEX, or Velcade, DEX, and Revlimid, or you put the cytoxin and Velcade and DEX, the Cybor-D. Now, the problem with that study, before we get into the results, it was a phase two randomized study. So it was not randomized to answer the question, which one is better than the other? Really, the answer that we could get from this was toxicity. Do we have a higher toxicity in these regimens or not? So let's go through the results. All of the three arms had very high responses, whether it's the VDCR, VDR, or VDC, with excellent responses between them. Now, the surprise that we had was VDR, which is Velcade, Dex, and Revlimid, had the same response rate that we had, whether we had the four drugs or the three drugs. So you don't really need the cytoxin if you added the Revlimid. And basically, the complete remission rate was about 20 to 25% in all of the groups. If you add a stringent complete remission it's about 10% in the Velcade, Dex, and Revlimid. And if you look at VGPR or better, which is the 90% reduction or better, it was about 60% or so in those patients. So very high responses throughout all three arms with the idea, again, that you may not need cytoxin if you have Velcade, Dex, and Revlimid put together. Now, one thing that they did change in that study along the way was modifying the dose of cytoxin. So this cytoxin was given as 500 milligrams per meter square days one and eight at the beginning. Then they did a modified one where they added day 15 to it. And again, we only have about 15 patients on this arm, so it's still too small. But if you use the modified cytoxin, then maybe the responses are a little bit better with a complete remission reaching 40%, so a much higher one compared to the 20% that we've seen before. So maybe if we add cytoxin 1, 8, and 15, we will have a higher response. Again, I think the number is too small to say anything about that. It's interesting. It's exciting maybe. But for now, if you're using Revveldex, you don't have to add cytoxin, at least based on this evolution study. If you're doing cytoxin, then Cyborg-D is good enough. And potentially, maybe the modified Cyborg-D will give us a higher response rate compared to the regular Cyborg-D. We'll have to wait and see about that result. Again, they looked at cytogenetics and overall, again, the addition of Velcade and lenalidomide gives you a very high response rate and it does not have any problems with poor cytogenetics. They looked at stem cell mobilization because we've had this problem with lenalidomide if you use it for a very long time. And yes, they've had some small numbers, but it wasn't a huge difference. They had about 15% of the patients having low numbers of mobilization when we had the Revlimid arms, while those on the Velcade, Cytoxin, and Dex did not have any problems problems with mobilization. So small numbers, only 15%, but it still looks like maybe Revlimid has some effects on mobilization of patients. Side effects wise, all of the arms had comparable side effects. There were no major problems in this. And again, the main thing that they looked at is that very high responses, potentially durable responses, but we need longer follow-up. And they will be looking at this minimal residual disease. Again, it's the same idea. Other people are looking now at minimal residual disease. 
I can tell you now that we are opening soon a large randomized study over 1,000 patients. So you'll hear more and more about it, which is a Dana-Farber and French group, the IFM group. We will give patients Revveldex upfront and then randomize them to transplant or no transplant. So this is an important study that will answer the question, do we need transplant early or late, which we will be talking a little bit about it with Shaji Kumar's other abstract. Okay, why don't we go on to abstract number 128 by Dr. Palumbo et al. Yeah. So this was a study by the Italian group led by Antonio Palumbo, which was Velcade, Melphalan, Prednisone, and Thalidomide in the elderly patients, followed by maintenance with Velcade, Thalidomide. So again, the idea that if we have three drugs, they look good, how about four drug regimen, which again is the theme that we're getting more and more in myeloma. And here they add Thalidomide to Velcade, so the VMP regimen, and then add Thalidomide. Remember, this was followed by maintenance. So again, the idea of maintenance regimens in those patients. So it was randomizing 511 patients. Either they receive VMP, which is becoming more and more the standard of care now, versus VMPT, so adding thalidomide to those patients. And again, the idea of using weekly Velcade. So you'll see it more and more in those trials. And then followed again by maintenance or no maintenance. And in the maintenance arm here, they use Velcade days one and day 15 only for each cycle. And thalidomide was given at 50 milligrams daily. So if we look at the responses of the VMP or VMPT followed by the maintenance arm, we see that the complete remission rate was much higher in the VMPT. So adding thalidomide does give you some higher response rate. It was about 38% versus 24% for a complete remission rate. VGPR was another 20% or so. So overall, the big difference was still the complete remission and not the VGPRs with a p-value that was significant, 38% versus 24%. Then if we look at the time to next therapy or the progression-free survival in those patients, there was a big difference when you added the maintenance part with the Velcade and Thalidomide. So the VMPT followed by VT, Velcade Thalidomide maintenance, had a higher progression-free survival, had a much better time to next therapy in those patients, and both of those were significant. The overall survival did not matter, though, between them. And again, it could be that we just have a short follow-up of those patients because it's only a median of three years. So I don't think we need to emphasize that the survival was not a big difference because progression-free survival was different between those two arms. The main side effect, neutropenia, was a little bit more when they added the thalidomide. Sensory neuropathy, of course, you expected because thalidomide was higher. And the dropout from the toxicities was a little bit higher, of course, when you added the thalidomide to those patients. So I think the main points to remember from this study is, again, we're using the weekly Velcade instead of the twice a week. We're thinking of four drug regimens instead of three drug regimens, and we're doing a lot of maintenance therapy in myeloma now. If you do the four drug regimen with weekly Velcade, you get a complete remission that's higher versus in the old way of using VMP alone. And if you do maintenance, you get a better progression-free survival in those patients. I think the question that we're asking now is, of course, can we replace thalidomide with lenalidomide and have a better response in those patients. And again, what about that strategy outside of a hook protocol setting? Yeah, I think that, yes, you can put the four drug regimens together. We have to be careful. The responses already in those elderly patients are very, very high with the VMP alone. And I think if you look at the Matteo study, using weekly Velcade, already those responses were high. I would say thalidomide added to Velcade does increase your toxicity, so we have to be careful. If the patient is relatively Young, 65-year-old, yes, but young and looking healthy, yes, you can do the four-drug regimen. 
And also getting back to this issue of scheduled bortezomib, of course, they did show a pretty big difference in peripheral neuropathy with the weekly versus twice weekly. And they also presented data on efficacy, which looks like they're like overlap completely. Yeah. Yeah. If we look at the neuropathy and they had here grade three and four, it was only 2% with the VMP. And this is just the once a week versus the 14% if you look at the twice a week. Huge difference. And again, we're coming back to this idea of weekly Velcade should be the way to go for our patients. We'll have to see with more and more of those studies what's going on. And this issue of efficacy, because they showed you know, progression-free survival of 61 versus 62% with the two schedules, do you think that was adequately powered to address that question? I think the follow-up is still relatively short for those patients. I think it was adequately powered to answer this question, but again, we'll see. There was a p-value that was significant between them. At the three-year follow-up, you're having 75% of the patients having that VMPT plus VT versus the VMP alone. So... And that's the time to next therapy. The progression-free survival was also different between them. The one thing to know about this, which I think is important for us, is when we look at the median survival of patients with myeloma, it's getting longer and longer. You can see here 60% of them living the three years, and that's the progression-free survival. You can see the overall survival curves are flat or flatter compared to the old days that we had, with an 88% of them living three years, median three years. So that's already a sign that the myeloma survival is getting longer and longer with those regimens. And the old days of saying, yes, it's only three to five years is no longer true, especially for elderly patients now that we're having better regimens. How about Abstract 301 by Paul Richardson from your group and a bunch of other people? So this was a phase one, two study looking at the combination of pomalidomide alone or in combination with low-dose DEX. And you would say, why did we even do this study when other studies have been done with pomalidomide? And the question was really trying to get to a higher dose. Did we really test the correct dose early on or do we need to go to a higher dose? Can you explain what pomalidomide is and how it compares to thalidomide and lenalidomide? Sure. So pomalidomide is the new generation of the IMID, so like thalidomide and lenalidomide. Pomalidomide, pomalidomide is the next generation and it's called CC4047. It's a much more potent drug compared to Revlimid. And actually, Celgene is marketing it to be used for Revlimid refractory patients, although if you look at its efficacy, it's probably even more potent than Revlimid. It does have the same side effects, the cytopenias that we see with lenalidomide. But again, it is different enough that you can use it in lenalidomide refractory patients. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's an oral agent. You can still see the DVTs that we or at least look for the DVTs that we see with lenalidomide and thalidomide. And the prior studies that were used, they used lower doses. They used only the two milligrams and some of the studies, the four milligrams. So we wanted to really test the adequate way of looking at it with a phase one study again, all the way to five milligrams in this study. So what's the bottom line in terms of what they found? Or are we going to say some more about it? So basically the bottom line is four milligrams is the maximum tolerated dose. Five milligrams was not tolerated. So we're now doing four milligrams. And if you add dexamethasone to it, even in refractory and relapsed patients, you're having very high responses up to 50% or so. If you use it alone, then it's about 25% or so response rate. And what about the issue of patients with poor cytogenetics? Again, this is a small number of patients, so I would not put too much data on it, but some of those patients with high risk still had a good response rate compared to standard risk. So more and more of those novel agents will have good responses. So what's the next step here? 
Probably Puma Ledomite plus Velcade plus Dex, you expect that to happen. We want to see FDA approval of Puma Ledomide. I think hopefully Celgene will go to the FDA with this. It's a drug that's working, that's oral, well tolerated, and multiple studies have been done with it. Any speculations about what you would see? I mean, is there actually a phase two or three study comparing RVD to, I guess, PVD? (laughs) Yeah, not that I know yet. I think we're waiting for FDA approval for this drug, and then you'll see the next steps coming up. Any guesses in terms of, I don't know, three, five years from now, what we're going to be doing in terms of this agent? Do you think it's going to replace lenalidomide up front? Yeah, I think it will. I think it is much more potent than lenalidomide. I think the company is marketing it to be after lenalidomide, but I think just like thalidomide, it will take over. And then we'll leave lenalidomide for the relapse setting, just like we did with thalidomide. How about abstract 302, Dr. Wang et al., looking at carfilzomib? Yeah. So remember, carfilzomib is a proteasome inhibitor. So just like bortezomib or Velcade, we're starting now to see more and more new generations of proteasome inhibitors. The nice thing about carfilzomib is that it does not cause neuropathy. So we can stay away from that neuropathy that we get with bortezomib. Now, several studies have been done with carfilzomib. One of them was in patients who have had Velcade before. And unfortunately, the responses in those patients were not amazing. We only had about an 18% response rate. So if they've had Velcade before and they're refractory, likely they will not respond to carfilzomib. For Velcade-naive patients, the responses were very high, about 50%. Now, this study was done to answer the question of using carfilzomib in patients who were bortezomib-naive. So again, this study just showed us this overall response rate of 45%, which we've heard about before, but this was just the extended or longer follow-up for those patients. So if you've never used Velcade before, response rates are very high, and you avoid the neuropathy with carfilzomib. But if you've used Velcade before, likely this would not work very well. How about paper 351 by Dr. Cavo at all? So Michel Cavo updated his phase three study. And again, this has been presented multiple times, so we know it very well. But he wanted to just emphasize the data that adding Velcade to Thaldex compared to Thaldex alone in the upfront setting gives you a very high response rate in those patients with multiple myeloma. And it was followed by stem cell transplant. So this was, again, the VTD regimen, which we know very well compared to Thaldex. And then you transplant those patients and then you consolidate it with either Velcade cell dex again or cell dex. And here, again, we know that the responses were very high with the VTD regimen. It overcomes poor cytogenetics. And more and more patients had VGPR or better with the VTD regimen compared to the TD regimen. Any other comments in terms of what this means? It means that the higher responses we get before transplant, the better. So we will get to it in the next one, but it's trying to get your patients to VGPR or better before you take them to transplant is becoming the way to go. And again, the three and four drug regimens, the maintenance regimen is becoming the way to go now for myeloma. So we have two papers now by Dr. Harriso et al. Can you talk about those? Sure. So the next one is achieving VGPR or CR in those patients, which we were just talking about. Can we try and achieve a high response in patients when we have the Velcade and DEX prior to transplant? And the big message that he had in this trial is if you can get to a very good partial remission or complete remission before transplant, your survival is much better. So this was the old study that we've seen before multiple times, which is the VAD chemotherapy compared to VALDEX chemotherapy. And you can forget the part where they ran 
randomize them to DCEP because it did not make a big difference. And then all those patients received transplant. And what we have seen before was that the Valkadex had a very good response. What he presented this time, which is important, were two things. One was that the progression-free survival is different when you have a VGPR or better. And that makes a longer progression-free survival for those patients. The second message that he had with this trial was that patients who had a high-risk myeloma, ISS stage 2 and 3, or patients who had bad cytogenetics, especially 414 translocation, you should give them Velcade. So again, higher-risk myeloma, poor cytogenetics like 414, give them Velcade and Dex if you can. Try to get those patients, especially those patients, to VGPR or better before you take them to transplant. What about the issue of maintenance here? So in the same study, basically, again, the idea of maintenance was still important. And if you look at following up those patients with maintenance, there is still a difference in the survival in those patients. Progression-free survival is much better in those patients. What about the other paper Dr. Harriso presented, Abstract 354? So Abstract 354, this was the Velcade DEX versus reduced bortezomib plus Thal plus DEX. And the idea with that was very interesting. And again, we're going back to the same theme that we have is if we can cut down the Velcade, to a weekly Velcade and then add another drug to it should we have a better response. And the interesting thing here is that the Velcade cell dex but reduced Velcade had the same response that you would get with other regimens, but it was a little bit inferior. The complete remission rates were the same with the low dose compared to the Velcade dex, but it was inferior if you used the twice a week Velcade. The complete remission rates were the same, but it's not, again, if you use the VTD twice a week compared to the Velcade lower dose TD, you have less responses with the VTD that's lower dose Velcade. But if you compare VD versus VTD with the low dose Velcade, you get the same responses. And I don't know, does that make sense or not? So basically adding thalidomide, but dropping your bortezomib will give you the same response rate like you had with the twice a week Velcade. Neuropathy was not a major side effect, but it was still there in those patients. Zoster reactivation, again, was the same thing. Stem cell collection was not a big problem in these patients. So again, I think that if we're dropping the Velcade dose, you can add thalidomide and you can still have a good response rate with those patients and have no problems with stem cell collection. How about paper 529 by Dr. Atal and all looking at lenalidomide after transplant? So I think this is a very important study. And here again, we're starting to talk about maintenance therapy. And we had previous studies talking about thalidomide maintenance therapy for years. Now we're starting to see the lenalidomide studies come out. So Michelle Atal's study is one, and the CLGB study that we did here is the second one. It was not presented this year, but we already know the data, and we know that lenalidomide was much better in the response in the progression-free survival compared to placebo post-transplant. And the same thing with Michelle Atal's study. Lenalidomide use post-transplant is a very important maintenance regimen right now. If you look at the responses in those patients, after at least two months of consolidation with lenalidomide, the complete remission and stringent CR was much higher. So they had 542 patients who received at least one dose of consolidation treatment with lenalidomide. And then if you look at the pre- and post-consolidation data available on 412 of those patients, the stringent CR was 2%, the CR was 22%, VGPR was 50%, and another PR of 25 So overall, this is still a very high response rate in those patients. What about the use of lenalidomide maintenance right now outside a protocol setting? 
Right now, we do it. We do it because you have two large randomized studies that show it, which is this one, the Michel Attal study and the CLGB study. I'm sure that the CLGB study will be presented in ASCO. We just got the release of the data, and we actually had to unblind all our patients who were on this study. Both of them show us that lenalidomide has a longer progression-free survival compared to placebo in patients with post-transplant. So I think, yes, we could be using right now 15 milligrams of lenalidomide in those patients. How about abstract 530 by Malaquist et al. in the Nordic myeloma study? So this was an important study, and I think they presented it very simply, but it was still an important study, which is, can we use bortezomib now for maintenance? So we talked a lot about thalidomide, we talked about linalidomide, but how about bortezomib for maintenance in those patients? And here they looked at a very interesting regimen. They used two cycles, basically, at the beginning, and then four weekly cycles after that. So they used the 1, 4, 8, and 11 regular twice-a-week cycles, and then followed by four cycles of weekly injections for three weeks, and then one one week off for a total of 21 weeks. And they looked at the side effect profile, which actually didn't look too bad. Neutrophils, platelet count, and overall neuropathic pain was not significantly high in those patients compared to control. Yes, it was a little bit higher, but not significant. And it was feasible to give those patients that much bortezomib as maintenance. The most important step that they had here is actually looking at the complete remission and near complete remission at month three, and then at month nine post follow-up. And here there was a difference in the response compared to control. So at the third month, you had a 20% response rate, which was similar. But if you look at the ninth month, so almost a year after, 50% of the patients on the Velcade arm had the response rate complete remission or near complete remission versus only 30% in the control arm. And that was significant between the two groups. So Velcade maintenance is important. It did not make a difference in the progression-free survival of those patients. I think maybe we need longer follow-up, but it did make a difference in the complete remission and near complete remission in those patients. Again, thoughts about non-protocol use of bortezomib maintenance. Yeah, we have to be careful. I think it is becoming more and more used. I think using weekly Velcade is okay, or even some of the other regimens that use Velcade was days one and 15, and then you stop for like three weeks or four weeks, and then you go on again. So the weekly Velcade or less than the twice a week Velcade is okay. We're going to see more and more maintenance in those patients. How about paper 613, again, by Dr. Palumbo, looking at the MPR regimen? So this was a very interesting study, and it was very well designed. I think Antonio Palumbo did a great job here. He had three arms in that study. The first arm was malfalan prednisone lenalidomide, followed by lenalidomide maintenance. The second arm was MPR, but there was no maintenance in it. And then the third arm was MP. And it just comes in follow-up of his phase one and two study, which was done previously, where he presented MPR regimen showing a very high response rate with about 40% or so of the patients having complete remissions or VGPR or better. So it was expected that he will do this randomized study. Now, he did ask another question in this study, which is lenalidomide maintenance. So we have two questions being asked in this one. So the first question is MPR followed by lenalidomide maintenance compared to MP. And of course, we expected this, that the response rates would be much higher with the MPR and then our maintenance, complete remission rates were 18% versus only 5% with MP, which we expect. Overall response rate was almost 80% versus only 50% with the MP arm. 
Time to first response was much higher with the MPR and progression-free survival was 50% reduced risk in progression-free survival when you had the MPR followed by maintenance. So again, if you're going to use a regimen in elderly patients, MPR followed by Revlimid maintenance is likely the way to go. Now, what he did, the second part of the study is he compared then his two arms, MPR with lenalidomide maintenance or MPR alone and no maintenance. And here he's asking the question, should I use lenalidomide maintenance? So this is, again, a third or fourth study that looks at lenalidomide maintenance. And here he used only 10 milligrams a day of lenalidomide. And again, we had a big difference in the progression-free survival in those patients when we had LEN maintenance. So likely this will become one of the new standards of care, MPR in elderly patients, followed by lenalidomide maintenance. So we have MPV or MPR. What about the paper by Dr. Mateos et al., number 614, looking at the issue of smoldering myeloma? So this is an important question, which is now we've been treating all those active myeloma patients. How about smoldering myeloma? And we have certain risk stratifications for smoldering myeloma patients. If their bone marrow is high, more than 10%, if their M-spike is more than 3 grams and their light chain is abnormal, those patients have a very high chance of progressing to active myeloma within the next couple of years. So what she did is she used lenalidomide and dexamethasone in those patients in smoldering myeloma, trying to decrease the time to progression to active myeloma and looking at the response rate. And of course, we expected that the response rate will be high. So she has in this study 81% response rate, VGPR or better was 30%. So yes, if you give Lendex to patients, they'll respond and they respond well. But the more important question was the time to progression. And here she had 94 patients and the Lendex arm did indeed have a better progression-free survival or a better time to progression compared to the placebo arm in this patient's population. We have to be careful that we don't use this study and then start now treating everyone with smoldering myeloma with Lendex. I think Lendex is still a regimen that has its own side effects, and we have to be careful that only the high-risk population with smoldering myeloma could potentially benefit from treatment, but we should not be treating everyone with smoldering myeloma. Let's talk about paper 616 by Dr. Scherer et al., looking at bortezomib with pegylated liposomal doxorubicin and thalidomide, VDT. So here, again, we know that Doxyl is an important drug that we use now for myeloma. And the idea of using Doxyl is really to have steroid-sparing ability in patients who cannot tolerate steroids or should not be taking steroids for some reason. So here they used Doxyl in combination with thalidomide and Velcade in those patients so that we avoid steroids. And they had a very high response rate in these patients. And the rate of neuropathy, of course, was low. The rate of other toxicities was not very high. They did have some cytopenias as the main side effect in those patients. But overall, this could be potentially one of the regimens you use if you don't use dexamethasone. The overall response rate was about 80% or so in those patients if you add partial response with complete remission. And again, about 38% or so of those patients had a complete remission and near complete remission. Is this a regimen that you yourself are using? And if so, what specific kinds of patients? I don't use a lot of Doxyl in our patients. We do have a trial using upfront Doxyl in our patients, but we haven't had too many patients going on with upfront Doxyl. I think if I use it, I would use it to avoid steroids or to avoid high-dose steroids. I think steroids are still very important in myeloma as long as we don't overuse them or use too much of long-term use of steroids. I mean, I guess the most common issue would be the fragile diabetes. 
Yeah. What kinds of problems do you see with the lower dose of steroids, though, with the diabetics? If you're using the once a week DEX, which most of us are doing right now, I haven't had major problems in those patients. Occasionally, we have patients who have diabetes and they're on an insulin pump or they're really in a bad situation. Then, yes, using Doxel would be a good idea. So the next paper I want to ask you about is actually yours, number 748. Oncologists have heard a lot about mTOR inhibitors, certainly in renal cell cancer. Now we're starting to see it in breasts and other cancers, and looks like it's coming into myeloma with temsorolimus. Yeah, so I wanted to bring this one up just to remind oncologists now that, yes, mTOR inhibitors are going to have a big role in myeloma. Temsorolimus and everolimus, both of them look promising in combination, not alone. We've done single-agent studies, and they don't work alone, just like so many other new agents, but when you put them in combination with Valcade or with lenalidomide, we have high responses. So those patients on this trial, it was a phase one and then phase two study, they were mostly Valcade refractory or heavily pretreated with Valcade before. And despite that, when you added Valcade using once a week again, Valcade, not twice a week, with CCI779 or Temsorolimus, we had an overall response rate that was about 60% in heavily pretreated patients. I would not use this off study yet, but I think it is promising enough that people can start using more and more mTOR inhibitors in the future. Another thing that we've heard a lot about in renal cell cancer, and a lot of people aren't even aware of it, is the issue of pulmonary complications from the mTOR inhibitors. Now, you had one category that was five patients, 13%, but it included infections, et cetera. What did you actually see in terms of that? It's hard, especially that myeloma patients, a lot of them get pneumonia. So it was very hard for us to define which one is pulmonary toxicity or not. I can tell you the two most important cases, one of them had H1N1 and then subsequently had pulmonary hemorrhage and had severe complications, but this patient was post-allo transplant, so there were other things that were having immune suppression in him. The second patient also had pulmonary hemorrhage, but in the setting of fungal infection, fungal pneumonia, and very low platelets with thrombocytopenia. Other than that, we did not see the specific pulmonary toxicity that you see with CCI779. It was not as severe as it has been seen in other studies. Where do you think things are heading with this agent as well as other mTOR inhibitors like Everolimus? Yeah, I think we will be doing more and more studies either with this agent or with Everolimus given that it's oral, so it's easier to use. I can tell you that in combination with lenalidomide, there is high responses too. So likely we will be doing Everolimus plus bortezomib and maybe with lenalidomide and DEX. We have to be careful with the thrombocytopenias, of course, in those patients. How about the paper 955 from Rousseau at all looking at the issue of renal failure in newly diagnosed patients. So again, this is an important question. Can you reverse renal toxicity in patients with myeloma? And we've been talking about this before, but no one has actually looked at all of the studies with it. And I think the most important question is, of course, looking at Velcade, looking at high-dose DEX. Other drugs that you can look at is cytoxin, of course. But here he's looking at novel agents, mainly lenalidomide, thalidomide, and bortezomib. And I think the most important question to look at is, Velcade, if you use it early enough and fast enough, you could reverse toxicity, especially renal toxicity in patients. Linalidomide, we have to be careful with it because of its renally excreted in patients. So you have to be careful with using linalidomide in those patients. But mainly, they recommend bortezomib use in those patients with myeloma to try and reverse the renal impairment. And so I guess they got these 82 patients from a variety of sources in their institution? Yeah, it was a retrospective study. It was not upfront study. And again, it was just a way to look at patients, if they received Velcade or dexamethasone, will they have reversibility or not? 
Any other data sets or even clinical dictums that you can talk about in terms of trying to predict upfront who's going to have reversible as opposed to irreversible renal dysfunction? I think the most important thing is how fast you start the regimen and how fast you get those patients into a response. So the moment you see anyone with renal failure, I would say definitely starting very early on. The idea of using phoresis does not help. At least we've seen that in the Canadian study, which was a randomized study. And trying to use the dexamethasone and full dose Velcade, do not try to dose reduce in those patients. How about the paper by Lousseau at all, 957, looking at Velcade dex in patients with 414 and deletion 17? So again, this was an important contribution, again, from the French group for the cytogenetics and whether Velcade really helps overcome poor cytogenetics. And for years, we've said 13Q, Velcade can overcome it. Now we have the answer for 414 translocation, but not for deletion 17P. So you can actually say that Velcade can also overcome 414 translocation, but we have not been able to yet overcome deletion 17P. What about paper 958 by Demopoulos et al., also looking at patients with cytogenetic abnormalities, this time with len and dex, with or without bortezomib? Yeah. So Thanos, again, the Greek group here, they started to look at len dex and whether you add Velcade to it or not. And I didn't have the whole slides for these patients, so we only have the abstract for these patients. And it looks like, just looking at the abstract, that poor-risk cytogenetics had only a borderline significant impact on time to progression when you use Velcade rev and DEX in combination. And if you look at the overall survival, poor risk cytogenetics predicted for the inferior overall survival in those patients, whether again they had the REVDEX or the Velcade REVDEX. So yes, these patients have a good benefit from this. I think the best group will be the hyperdeployed karyotype. They're the ones who had a very good response rate. And again, 414 translocation, you can overcome with the addition of Velcade. The last paper I wanted to ask you about is by Mateos et al., 3859, looking at more data from the VISTA trial. So this was, again, another update from the VISTA study, which is done by the Spanish group. Jesus and Miguel is the last author. Maria Matius was the first author. And basically what they did in this study, which is different than their prior analysis of VISTA, was they looked at what you can do afterwards when you salvage those patients. Can you salvage them with bortezomib, lenalidomide, or thalidomide, and will it make a difference? And it answers the very important question that oncologists usually ask is, well, if I use Velcade, melphalan, and prednisone up front, what will I do later on when they relapse? So the answer was, yes, you can use other agents, including bortezomib, and it will not make a huge difference in the survival of those patients. You can still salvage them very well and have very good responses in them. Overall, just sort of taking a step back and looking at ASH 2009 for myeloma, how do you think it compares to the last couple of years? So I think the big themes that we saw this year were the maintenance. It's becoming more and more important now that we use maintenance in myeloma, whether it will be lenalidomide or bortezomib. Four drug combinations are becoming more popular, but again, it's the question of which four drug combinations should we use? And the question of using weekly Velcade, which is less than the twice a week that we're used to. And I think these are becoming more and more important using less of the Velcade, but still getting the same response rates.